Restore us, O God of hosts. Show us the light of your countenance, and we shall be saved. Amen. Friends, it has been a hard year. The election bitterly divided us. The pandemic continues its deadly slog. Thanksgiving was not the same. We are living into an important and long overdue but difficult racial reckoning. Job security feels like a quaint 20th century idea. Many of us feel sad and lonely, disconnected and anxious. And I don't know about you, but I cannot wait until this craziness is behind us. If I never have another Zoom meeting in my life, I will not submit a complaint at the Pearly Gates comment box. 2020 has been really hard. And we yearn for a new era to arrive. We can't wait to see our friends and our family to worship together in this beautiful space which feels so empty without you. To know our community is finally safe to lower the temperature on our national dialogue, and so much more. When I think about all the ways we hope this time will give way to the next, I start to understand the yearning that ancient Israel had for the Messiah, the Anointed One, the promised child of God. You can hear it in the anguished hope of Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. This notion of God dividing the separation between what was sacred and what was not was an important idea for Isaiah's writing. But of course, it's important to be careful what you wish for because Isaiah, along with many of the other messianic texts, seems to yearn for a warrior king the kind of king who would restore Israel's economic and political power. But what they get instead is a trickster-shaped, troublemaking lover called Jesus. Born to refugees in a cave, proclaiming the release of the captive and good news to the poor and trouncing military expectations. Indeed, it is here that we find the great paradox of Advent and what I'd like to focus on with you this morning. God's reign is already and not yet. God's reign is already and not yet. (coughs) You see, Christians read back on these Jewish texts foretelling the birth of the Messiah, and we think, I mean, what's the big deal? Been there, done that, he already came. And in a way, yes, Advent is about preparing our hearts for the birth of Jesus the Christ with Advent calendars and wreaths and the reading of prophecies, But most of that feels like a foregone conclusion. I hate to spoil your Christmas, but on December 24th, we will sing Christmas carols and we will play a pageant and we will proclaim that Christ is born. Indeed, it is the greatest gift the world has ever known because already Jesus has showed us how to live abundantly. He's shown us with his life and teaching what God's dream for the world could look like. But not yet have we realized his vision for the world. Theologian Martin Kopenhauer captures Advent's already and not yet nature. 
Already, Jesus has established the means through which we are drawn into relationship with God. But not yet do we live in complete communion with God. Already, the realm of God is evident, but not yet is that realm fully understood. Indeed, through jarring imagery, today's gospel addresses those who have to live in the meantime, the challenging meantime between the already and the not yet. So how might we understand Jesus' call to remain awake in light of God's already and not yet nature? This is where Advent gets interesting as we proclaim that Jesus comes to us in history, mystery, and majesty. History refers to the person of Jesus of Nazareth the man who lived and died and rose again in first century Palestine and showed us how to love and how to live abundantly. In this light, we prepare our hearts for Isaiah's glorious good news, that a child has been born for us, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But what of mystery? I believe that Jesus comes to us every day in mysterious ways. Jesus is present as he promises whenever two or three are gathered in his name, in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of the bread and in the prayers. I believe that Jesus' ministry is active in the world through you and through me, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Indeed, Christ has no body on earth now but yours. Yours are the hands through which Jesus touches the world. Yours are the eyes through which Jesus sees the world with compassion. Yours are the hearts through which Jesus feels for the world. And that, I think, is where Christmas goes from quaint tradition to radical good news, something to wait for during this Advent season, the greatest gift the world has ever known, that God continues to be incarnate, alive, present, in the flesh, here and now. And we also wait for God to come in majesty, to reveal all things, to make a new heaven and a new earth. Here we find one of the great questions of the New Testament. Exactly when can we expect God to come again? And what does that look like? And what does that mean? When does Jesus return to draw all things unto himself? What will it look like? How do we participate in that? Clearly, the New Testament writers felt great anxiety around this question. They write about it all the time, especially the gospel writers and Paul. Mark writes his, new, his gospel around the destruction of Jerusalem's temple, around 70 years after the first Christmas. And so he expects these end times to come any minute. His world was literally crashing down around him. That's why Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. That's Mark's take on it. But Luke, writing later, starts to conclude that it might be a while before the return of Christ. And I'm convinced that's why he actually edits Mark's Beatitudes. So Mark's, blessed are the poor in spirit, for Luke becomes, blessed are the poor. It seems we're going to have to live together for a minute. So Luke wants us to actually care 
for the actual people who are actually poor, the Beatitudes are no metaphor. And so here's what I'm trying to say this morning. If Advent is truly about watching and waiting, which I think it is, it's not just about preparing our hearts for the birth of the Christ child, important as that is, that has already been part of the story. Advent is also about watching and waiting for the not yet reign of God. We are thus called to a hopeful expectation that Jesus Christ will draw all things unto himself and restore creation to God's dream for the world. But here's the rub. Advent waiting, hopeful expectation, is not a passive act. Ultimately, we are called to watch and wait and work toward God's kingdom. I'm talking about the kind of hope you see as a pregnant mother waits for her child, or as partners in a broken marriage wait and hope and work for healing because so much hangs in the balance, or as a family hopes and prays in the ICU, doctors and nurses doing everything they can, or as you and I wait hopefully for the deep yearnings of our lives. So what are we to do? How might we hope expectantly this Advent season? First, let's live well here and now. I love the way Mary Oliver puts it. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. We just spent a week giving thanks, and gratitude is surely a practice for the living of these days. Advent calls us at once to be present where we are and to keep awake, looking expectantly toward God's promises. Second, let's acknowledge that we do not know when or how God's realm will be made complete. One of the great challenges of apocalyptic literature, like we read in today's gospel, and fair warning is coming for the next three weeks, is that we're not reading a weather forecast or a specific prediction. It's not an end times book best-selling list, you know. Rather, these stories reflect on God's powerful acts in the past to frame how we might live in the present. God has indeed moved in a mighty way. God sent us a Savior to show us how to love and to live. And this Jesus calls us to keep awake, to watch expectantly, to hope expectantly, to work expectantly, as if what he said mattered, as if it could actually change the world, to watch expectantly for signs of God's love and to participate in God's reign. Third, we are to strive for God's kingdom. We may not know what is to come in general. I feel pretty comfortable saying I do not know what is to come, but we do know who is to come. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed and appointed one of God who promises deep and abiding hope. What does it mean to stay awake for this Jesus? What does it mean to hope expectantly for this kind of reign? We read it just last week. Then the king shall say, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, so I tell you, you did it unto me. 
That's the report card, my friends. That is the final analysis, the pencils-down moment on the final exam. That is the realm of God where the Son of Man, seated in great glory, shows us his dream for the world and calls us to task. So, Advent blessings. Let's watch expectantly like Isaiah. Let's wait patiently like Mary saying yes to God's ridiculous good news for our lives. And let's work with our neighbors to make this corner of the universe just a bit more fair, just a bit more kind, and just a bit more beautiful. For already we have been shown the way, the truth, and the life, and though we have not yet realized Jesus' promise, we know God's dream for the world. And we know that God has given us great work to do. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. Amen.